This has been a, a summer of sequels from movies. Have you noticed that? Like The Terminator, I'll be back for the 10th time, right? I mean, how many would admit you saw The Terminator so far? Is it, oh, okay, good. Was it good? Was it worth, worth my time, yes or no? Then there was uh, Jurassic Park had, a, had their sequel, and I'm waiting for Rocky 12 to come out, because I still, no, there was Rocky 6 was the last one. How, what would Rocky do? He'd fight in a wheelchair, I think, if were beat guys. He actually did one, the grudge match with De Niro. That was supposed to be like that, I guess. But, um, you know, there's a desire when you see a good movie, like, man, I'd like this to continue. Or as my kids would say growing up, when they'd see a movie that they like, if you have little ones, you know this, is, is do you think they're going to make a part two? Or can we own that movie? That's a new thing. Can we own that movie so I can watch it 25,000 times? You know, I remember Toy Story, Toy Story 2, on and on and on. Those are good movies. I remember when my dad took me to see Rocky, I didn't believe that Rocky had lost in the first one. I could not believe that, right? How would he? How would he I remember him telling my dad, no, he actually won. He was like, no, he didn't. No, he did. So they made Rocky 2 and he won and everybody was happy after that, right? The sequel. Desiring a sequel is a lot like what we feel about in life. We're going to talk about that today. We're in a series called Q&A. And what we've been doing is we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes written by King Solomon. He asks a lot of questions. He asks some deep questions. And we've been taking these deep questions of life and trying to, to, to see what is God's answer? To these big questions. What is his answer to these big questions of life? And as Vanessa said earlier, we're going to talk through the question, what happens when you die? That's a big question. <laughs> this is what Solomon says in chapter 7, verse 2. He says, death is the destiny of everyone and the living should take it to heart. Death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take is to heart. Some might think this morning, do we really need to talk about this? <laughs> is this really, I mean, is this something we want to talk about in church? Is this something we want to, I want to feel good, right? I don't want to talk about death. That seem, could seem morbid. I would say wholeheartedly to everybody in this room, yes, we need to talk about this. Death is an appointment we're all going to keep. None of us is going to get out of this place alive. We're all going to have to go through the doorway of death. There's no way around it. So yeah, we should talk about it. There, there's something inside of each of us that's longing for the sequel, longing for part two, looking for a continuation. In many cases, people are looking for a do-over. I could have part two, man, I could have a do-over on life or at least a continuation of the good things. This question has been, you know, what happens when you die has been the subject of many, many songs written in, in, the, in history. And I uh, did a little Facebook poll recently before we went on our vacation. What songs come to mind when you think of the afterlife or you think of the reality of dying? And I just, I said, whether you you know, a Christian, whatever your belief is, whatever your worldview is, I want to know what songs come to mind. And it was funny. I had like a hundred comments on there. I was kind of a big deal that day. You know, that, you, you know, you're, you check, hey, look how many people check me out. But 
that's Facebook sickness there, but that's a whole other subject that we need to be delivered from. But in this comments, I mean, I had everything from ACDC highway to hell. Um, that was my British friends. All they kept doing the, the old eighties rock stuff. One person put celebrate good times. Come on, cool in the gang. Right. Um, somebody else, uh, Pink Floyd, Comfortably Numb. I mean, this was a wide, wide gamut. I'd say the most posted song was I Can Only Imagine, Mercy Me. You know, and that's a believer's, when I can only imagine, what is it going to be like when we see Christ face to face? And, uh, but it's, it's, it's on people's minds, believers, non-believers. What happens when you die? My hope and prayer today is that Knowing about death and what happens when you die will cause you to live a better life here on earth as you live the rest of your life. Whatever it is, we don't know how much time we have, but that we would take that time and we would live it full on and full heartedly for the Lord, wholeheartedly for the Lord. This is the deep end of the pool when it comes to messages. It's not going to, it's not, it's parts of the message this morning are not going to be easy. It's, it's, it's not easy to look at some of the difficult parts of Scripture and realize what Scripture has to say, what God has to say. When we were in the, our pool in Scottsdale, I know we were roughing it out in Scottsdale, but our pool had the deep end of the pool was like right in the middle of the pool. So you'd be walking, and all of a sudden, bloop, I mean, I was gone because I'm not very tall to start. We're going to the deeper end of the pool a little bit this morning. And be okay with that, okay? Be okay with the fact that you're going to be stretched a little bit in your thinking. You're going to be stretched maybe even in your theology, your, your ideas about God, etc., etc. It's good to dialogue. It's good to open that up. So um, anybody that's ever been touched by death, lost a loved one, we know that inherently death brings sorrow. Look what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 7.3. Sorrow is better than laughter. It may sadden your face, but it sharpens your understanding. Anybody that's ever been to a funeral, you begin to think about your own. And what are people going to say at your funeral? Are people going to remember me? Is, am I going to remember by how I live my life? So that's really the goal today is to sharpen our understanding and to live better for the Lord. So I'm going to talk through three different vantage points of the reality of death. Because I don't think anyone's, you know, silly enough to think, Death's not a reality. Somebody's in la-la land if they can't. So we're all on the same page there. But whose vantage point am I looking at the reality of death from? And before I get into I'm just going to give you three real quick. Vantage point number one, you don't need to write this down yet, is going to be the view or vantage point from the downside. The downside would be more the biological side. You know, just Solomon's observations about life and death was just boom you know life's over and you die and you see it in the animal world etc etc you may know somebody who's an atheist may know somebody who doesn't believe in god doesn't believe in an afterlife this is going to be their vantage point of death and solomon has a lot to say about that second vantage point is going to be from the inside that's going to be more of your psychological point of view how do i feel about death what do i think about it And then the third one is the upside, which, in my opinion, is obviously the most important one. And that's going to be God's vantage point of the reality of death, the theological side, if you will. 
So most of Ecclesiastes, let's go to vantage point number one, is from the downside. The downside. And that phrase, under the sun, is used by Solomon throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, was a king. He had power. He had money. He had girls. He had everything. He had everything that the typical person would say, man, he has the good life. And at the end of his life, he's kind of, he's bumming. He's regretting. He's lamenting how he lived his life. And he's seeing life through a whole new set of of lenses, if you will. And so he uses this phrase, under the sun, and under the sun means life here on earth without an understanding of God. The typical person walking the streets today that doesn't know God but just knows the pain and knows the chaos and the ups and downs of life, they're, they're living life under the sun. Well, God wants us to get his vantage point. We'll get to that. But that's our earthly existence. So what some, some of Solomon's observations. And Solomon was definitely on a downer when he wrote this. He was in need of a, you know, pharmaceuticals or something to get his spirits lift. He needed, a, he needed a little shot in the arm there. But here's his observations. First of all, death is inevitable. And we would agree. He said, we must all die wise and foolish alike. I kind of had a little scare not too long ago. I was on a jog in our neighborhood and I've seen this dog in, you know, the dogs that get real crazy up on someone's couch and they're looking out the windows. It was a pit bull and I've seen him several times. And one day I'm running and his, he was out with the, there was another little like Yokiero Taco Bell dog, you know, a little small chihuahua. And it was, these two dogs were there and as soon as they saw me, the owner was there. He kind of put a little armed grip on the pit bull. Like, don't go kill this man that's jogging by our house here. And uh, so he, he did that. And I was like, ooh, I started running. All of a sudden, the little Taco Bell dog chased me for about 70 yards. I'm just looking down. Dude, I will kick you. And I'm still looking at him. He was nipping at my whole way. All of a sudden, I looked down. He wasn't there anymore. Looked down again. The pit bull was right there. And I was like, uh, what do I do here? You know, am I facing, you know, some serious, my neighbor had just been attacked by pit bulls. He's a UPS driver. And so obviously that was the first thing that went into my mind. And I didn't know what to do. He was barking at me. And so I just turned around and did what everybody else would do, right? I turned around and I said, no. (laughs) I just, I yelled at him, no. And he stopped and he just went back to the house. And I was I was like, that's right, uh-huh, mess with me. I will put a hurting, facing this inevitability of death. I just wanted to tell you that story. That has nothing to do with this. We learn young about the reality of death with animals, pets, lose your goldfish. You got to explain that to your kids. Does your goldfish go to heaven and all, blah, 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 as you're flushing it down the toilet. And it's... I remember when I was a little little boy, had a BB gun. I don't think people have BB guns as much anymore. <laughs> we had access to BB guns. And I remember I shot a magpie for no reason. And this guilt came over me. Like, I just killed a bird for no reason. What did this little trash bird do to anybody else? And, and so it's this reality of death. We've had uh, 
I think we have a stray cat in our, that lives in people's backyards, and he just, he hunts. It's like our, his own little animal planet kingdom thing. I, I've come out several days in a row to find dead birds that have just been mauled by this cat. We find a little carcass and throw it away before our dog gets it. And it's like, wow, that's, that's pretty brutal. It's, it's inevitable. Death, Solomon says, is this. It's, it's just physical. You can write that down. It's just physical. He says, man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. Is that true? I'll tell you this. He's wrong. The same fate does not await humanity that awaits animals. Animals don't have a soul. I'm sorry to break that to you, cat, you know, cat lovers especially, right? But the animals don't have souls. And they don't, we don't have the same fate. And we, we make this mistake sometimes in trying to understand, well, is Solomon, how is this inspired if what he's saying here is not true? Well, God wanted this question to be in the Bible for a reason. Solomon in himself was, was a fallible human being. He's just asking a question. He's making an observation. God wanted this book and these questions to be in here so that we could actually have answers. And thank God for the rest of Scripture, we have Jesus and we have true and, and, and right answers to this. I think Solomon makes the mistake that we often make. And I would challenge you this morning. Do you make the mistake of interpreting life, making observations about life pain, suffering, and then take those observations and that's how you interpret the Bible? You see all this around you and you go, well, that can't be true. This happened in life, so this promise, this reality can't be true. You follow what I'm saying? Don't let life interpret scripture for you. Scripture interprets life for us. As hard as that can be sometimes, and, and we have a lack of understanding, we, we're not God. And so we have, you know, a, a smaller capacity to understand things. But don't, it, it, as, as difficult as things can get and as big as questions can be, let Scripture interpret life for you no matter what you're going through at all times. Even when life disappoints you, when life hurts you know, when you read the scope of Scripture, we realize that Jesus said life is going to be painful this side of heaven. That's why heaven is heaven. So it's important that we understand that. Solomon's observation was death is unsearchable. He said this, he said, there's no way for us to know what will happen after we die. Well, I would say Solomon, true and not true. It's true in the fact that I've never experienced it. I've never gone through the portal of death. But Jesus did. Jesus is the most qualified to talk about death because he died, was buried for three days and rose again to tell us what life was really about and what death was about. So death is, is mysterious in that we don't, we've never been there. So we, it's like going to Disneyland for the first time or going somewhere. You're not sure. You've been told about it, but you've never actually experienced it. But it's not a mystery. Death's not a mystery. Jesus told us what, what, what the reality, what happens to us when we die. And then he says this, death is the end. This is Solomon's observations. The dead know nothing. Their loves, their hates, their passions, all died with them. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I got out of bed for this. <laughs> wow, I could have, you know, what a downer. 
I should have given Mark this message instead of me. Because here's the reality. Looking at death from the downside, it brings despair. You can write that down. When I have Solomon's observations about death, then it just brings despair. And people will do anything to try to avoid the reality of death or thinking about, I want to talk about that. Let's put that off. Let's this. Let's that. And that's, it just brings despair. That's why people, I think, call Christianity or the belief of an afterlife a crutch or some sort of placebo. You know, placebo is that sugar pill that you think you're taking the right supplement or something and you feel better because you took a sugar pill and it was all psychological. A lot of people think that that's what this is about. The second vantage point is the inside. It's another way of looking at death. That's the psychological approach, the thought life, the feelings. And all of us have this sense inside of us that there's got to be more. The brevity of life itself. I mean, I, the, the, you know, I've just recently heard of teenagers, you know, suddenly passing and when that happens you think man life is so brief there's there's got to be more is this really it you ever thought about why does every culture in history have a have a belief about you know the afterlife you go to the museum and you'll see what the egyptians thought or the native american indians or whoever everybody has this thought about the afterlife why is that Look at the verse in in Ecclesiastes 3.11. God has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God put that there. God put the desire for a sequel in our hearts. Every person is born with that. And the older you get, the more you realize how much, you know, there's got to be more than just this years that I've been given in this life. But if we don't have answers, then, I'm, then write this down. The look from the inside is going to bring confusion. The look from, the, from the, the downside, that brings despair. Just looking at it psychologically, thought, feelings, etc. can bring confusion. As a, as a pastor, I've been a pastor for going on 20 years. And being a pastor, I you know, have the privilege and honor of doing something very difficult at times, and that's doing funerals, doing memorials for people that have passed. And I've done funerals for people that were close to 100 when they passed away. And I've done funerals for stillborns. I've done funerals for teenagers. We've experienced it here at Novation. Sudden death when, whoa, I'll tell you, that's the most hard, hard, hard part about the, doing that is to, you know, what do you say? People are hurting. There's sorrow. There's, there's loss. There's regret. There's so much that goes in that. And it doesn't matter how old somebody is. It still hurts. There's a, there's a breaking, a separation that happens. Well, when I do a funeral, I always try to bring in Jesus in the hope that Jesus brings because without Jesus the afterlife death is very confusing it makes no sense what is this all about thankfully we have Jesus 
Some people get some goofy ideas about death. I have a, a Facebook friend, not in this room, but a Facebook friend who, uh, man, they put something bizarre about death the other day and, and that they were going to be able to avoid sickness by mind over matter. And if I just believe right and I think right, I'll avoid that and I'll determine the day of my death. I'm thinking, no. And they went on to, you know, say like when they die, they were going to go be absorbed into the energy of the universe and, you know, all that stuff. And I'm like, uh, no, sorry. How do, how do we get sucked into that? Because we get confused. The right way to look at death is God's bird's eye view of the reality of death. That's vantage point number three. That's the upside. Jesus is God. God came to us in the person of Jesus. He is the most qualified to talk about death. No one ever taught what Jesus taught. No one ever claimed what Jesus claimed. And no one ever did what he did, ultimately. You know, here's a guy who said he predicted his own death, said he was going to be dead for three days and rise again. And he did it. I'm with him. I'm, I'm with that guy. I, I, it's confusing and as, and as strange as life can be and trying to read parts of the Bible, huh, what does that mean? I don't know, but I'm with him. The guy that can predict his own death and come back in three days like he did, I'm putting my hope and I'm banking it all on him. And I hope you will too. Solomon is, is asking this, had been asking this question, what happens when you die? But here's, here's the key to vantage point number three, the upside. The look from the upside reveals the better question. Write this down. What happens after I die? Not what happens when I die, but what happens after I die? The Bible tells us that we were created to live forever. Death was not part of God's original plan. Death, this, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because we have, we have failed here, death entered into the world through our first parents, Adam and Eve. And it's continued on. And we were created to live forever. So the body dies, but the soul goes on to live for, forever. And so here's, here's the reality. There will either be eternal separation or eternal celebration. And I didn't make this up. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. It's not on your notes, but if you want to write that reference down, Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will wake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So some are going to experience eternal separation and others eternal celebration. Now, this is the parts of the Bible that I wish weren't there. <laughs> It'd be easier to avoid this. And when you talk about the reality of, of heaven and hell, and, and especially in our day and age right now, there's this wave of, of tickling ears, itchy ears, that there's you know, not, not really a place called hell, and we've had it all wrong. I don't see that. Jesus taught a lot about hell, more than any other subject. And I, I wish that I could get some white out and go, you know, the second part's not there. But that's, that's, I'm just being honest with you. 
I've got to be truthful to what's there in Scripture. Um, sometimes when you talk about this, this ruffles some feathers a little bit. It ruffles people's thoughts. Well, look what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians. He says, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. Hell's a literal place. It's a real place. It's a real place of suffering, separation, loneliness, on and on and on. Now the the dynamics of hell and what hell is really like, you know, it's bad. You don't want to go there. I, I don't, you know, I don't claim to have all the insight on that. But the point is, is it's, it's separation. There's a separation that's happened. In the Bible, Jesus said that the, the hell was created for the devil and the demons. It was a place created for them. And Jesus taught more about hell. He taught about a literal hell a lot. And the question always comes up. And listen, follow me over the next two minutes. I want to yell, wake up. <laughs> Stay awake. This is so important that you don't misquote the Bible, that you don't misquote God. And, you know, I don't care if you misquote me. I'm doing my best to, to do this. But I want you to understand this. People always ask this question. How can God send people to hell? How can God send people to hell? That always boils down to a misrepresentation and a misunderstanding about the character, nature, and attributes of God. To ask that question, i got to understand who is God, what is his character, what is his attributes, what is his nature. Because people say this, don't they? I can't believe in a God who sends people to hell. I believe in a God of love. How many have heard that before? I can't believe in a God who would send people to hell. I believe in a God of love. Here's my question. What makes people think that he's a God of love? Look at history. Look at the wars. Look at the famines. Look at the suffering. Look at the chaos. How do people come to this conclusion that God's love? Does that prove that God is love? God's, God being love is not the dominant attribute of any of the other world major religions. Only Christianity says that God is a God of love. All the other, it's not the major attribute of the other world religions. So I got to conclude then that God is love when I read scripture. I can't look at life and realize, and people think that God's love. I got it, something's gone wrong. But I see it in scripture that God is love. God so loved the world that he gave Jesus, that God loves us and has plans and purpose. That's why it's so important that we understand why we, we trust the book and what it has to say to us. So I got to conclude that it comes from when I read it in scripture. But the same Bible that reveals that God is a God of love. Also reveals that he's a God of justice and judgment. Same, same Bible. Same, same books that we're reading. So we got to go back to this understanding that hell was created for the devil. And for the demons. And ultimately for people who wanted to live apart from their creator. People who wanted to be their own boss. They want to be their own God. They don't want their creator telling them what to do. You know why the devil fell in the first place? He wanted to be God. In eternity past, 
The devil was created as a beautiful angel. And he chose one day that he wanted to be like God. And that, is that not though inside of people in us? I want to be my own boss. You don't tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live my life and this is mine. I'm going to get mine while I'm here, etc., etc. I don't want God. So people, it's easy to push that aside and, and say, you know, I want to do my own thing. So come back to this question, does God send people to hell? Ultimately, God doesn't send people to hell. People choose it. People choose it. People get for eternity what was hoped for in this life. People get for eternity who they trusted in. People get for eternity what was desired, what we built our lives on. If you can picture a a continuum, a line here, arrow that direction, arrow that direction. People that, that go to heaven... They, they're saying they want a life with God. And so it starts here on earth by becoming a follower of Jesus, putting your hope and trust in him. And God, I want you, I desire you. And you begin to experience him here in this life and you grow and you're conformed to the likeness of Christ. And that goes on and on and on and on and out into eternity, multiply it thousands. Here on earth, I don't want God. I don't want my creator. I, I want to do my own life. So and you get that in this life. And then in the next life to come, it goes on and on and on and on as well. And it's lonely and it's separation. C.S. Lewis, who wrote Mere Christianity, he said basically there's two kinds of people. He said there's the kind of person that says to God, your will be done in my life. God, your will be done. Then there's the person who God says to, okay, your will be done. You don't want me. You don't want life. you, you You get your way. It's important that we understand that. Here comes the good news. Heaven is a real place. None of us have to go and be eternally separated. We can can choose today to say, you know what, God, I want you. Jesus, I believe you. And I'm putting my faith, hope, and trust in you. Even when my faith feels so small, it feels so little, I'm putting it in you. My hope, I'm banking on you. I bet my life on you, like the song says. I like that. I'm betting my life on him. And having the reality, you know, of heaven. Sometimes people get uh, tripped up and they think, well, what about the person who's never heard about Jesus? And what about this? And what? Forget, you don't, you're not responsible for that. What about you today? God is asking you today, will you put your hope in me? Will you trust me? Because you're not responsible for all that. Don't let that be a straw man or a stumbling block to coming into full faith into Jesus. Because we get to go into eternal celebration when we trust him. Heaven being a real place. Look what Revelation describes heaven. It says, God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. It's a place of perfect peace, incredible joy, the presence of God. You will know your significance. You will know security. There's no sorrow, no suffering. Death's a reward for the believer. So many people, even Christians, and I catch myself doing this. Ah, am I dying? Fear of death, you know, hypochondriac is... 
Listen, death is a reward for the believer. Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. He didn't say it was bad. He said it's a gain. It's better than anything this life can offer. And it's all the good stuff of life multiplied in such a better way. It's a place of eternal celebration. Now, people prepare for a career. People prepare for career by going to school. They intern. They do whatever. People prepare for retirement by investments, saving money, etc. How do you prepare to die? That's how I want to finish this morning. How do, you, how do we prepare to die? If you ask the average person if they believe they're going to heaven when they die, they usually say yes. And then when you ask them why, they usually say, pretty good guy. I've never done anything really too bad. I'm a good person. Because in their mind, they're comparing themselves to somebody else around them that they think is bad. We need to compare ourselves to God. We need to compare ourselves to perfection. What, separ- what, what, what decides eternal separation or eternal celebration is so important that we understand. Sometimes, you know, we might have to ask ourselves the question, is it a merit thing? Is God going to take your, the good of your life and the bad of your life? And Okay, you're in. You did the good. Well, sorry. Elevator down for you. No. That's such a wrong way to understand how God works and how God operates. He's perfect. We do that because we compare. I'm going to ask you a trick question. I'm telling you ahead of time this is a trick question. Because this is going to, this might bug you. But it's a good question. It's worth asking. Do you have to be perfect to go to heaven? Yes, you do. You do. Can you be perfect in yourself at any point in time? Is your goodness ever going to, here, God, here's my goodness. Thanks for letting me in. Right on. Boom. Sorry. Even on your best day of goodness, your best week of goodness, when you think, man, I've done it. I fought this temptation. I did that. I helped little old ladies across the street. I did this. I did that. On, On your best day, none of us are perfect. And you do have to be perfect to go to heaven. Why? God is perfect. Heaven is a place of perfection. Here's the gospel. Jesus Christ, the perfect one, came and lived a perfect life in your place. And he died on the cross, a criminal, criminal's death. And he paid the penalty that we deserved in our imperfection. He lived the perfect life, paid the penalty. So when you put your faith, hope, and trust in him, that makes you perfect. Now, practically in this life, you're imperfect. We're the imperfect following the perfect. But in this life, that's what makes you perfect and fit for heaven is what Jesus did. Please get that. We somewhere in our minds always want to smuggle in our righteousness, our goodness, our ability to do this, our ability to do that. We do it. It's how it's it's a it's a, a religious pride. It's it's. Somehow, just this merit thinking. Listen, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. He paid a debt he didn't owe, and he paid a debt that I could never pay. Put your faith in him. Put your trust in him, and he sees you perfect and fit for heaven. So how do we prepare to die? Trust in Jesus Christ. Trust in Jesus Christ. We don't need to, to wonder whether we can have assurance. He wants us to have assurance. 
that when we put our faith and hope in him, we can believe this scripture. Jesus has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We were all headed to separation until Jesus stepped in. We're all unworthy before in ourselves before the throne of God. That doesn't make you worthless. That actually shows your worth to God that God took so loved us that he gave his very best in Jesus. Jesus said that he is the resurrection and the life. Though if you believe in him and you trust in him, though you die, you'll live. You'll live on forever. So trust in him. Put your hope in him and his perfection. Stop trying to earn your way to God. Stop believing that, that you know, you've done too much, that you can't you know, come to God. Whatever it is, come and put your faith in Jesus. It levels the whole playing field for everybody when we realize that it's all about him. Second way to prepare to die is invest in eternity. Invest in eternity. Ecclesiastes 11, it's a wonderful thing to be alive. If a person lives to be very old, let him rejoice in everyday life. But let him also remember that eternity is far longer and that everything down here is futile in comparison. In other words, the attitude I have about death strongly affects the attitude I have about life. If I'm prepared to die, then I'm prepared to live. If you're not prepared to die, then you're not truly living the life that God wants you to live. You can't control how or when you die for the most part, but you do control how you live. You do. So how do we invest in eternity? Two things I want you to put little sub notes here. Share the good news with anyone and everyone you can. Share the good news. The other, when we were, first night I got in the pool in Scottsdale, I met this dude named Buddy. And it was a perfect name for him because the guy knew no strangers. He was everybody's buddy. And uh, he, he was traveling the world. He's a retired firefighter. I knew Buddy's life story in 15 minutes, man. He was, I was, uh-huh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Just listening to him. He's a really cool guy, 70 years old. And he told me his whole life story, two divorces, kids, you know, this and that, and, and um, what he was doing on his vacations and he told me he was going to live to be 100 years old. And I went, you know, excuse me? How do you know you're going to live to be 100? And he had some way he was going to live through nutrition and this and that. And I, I said, buddy, man, I don't know about that. I said, but I'm banking on, on Jesus. Jesus came and died. And I just, it was a brief, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm not patting myself on the back for it. I just wanted to share. Buddy, I'm banking on Jesus. How about you? And he said, yeah. He said, I think so. So we began to talk a little bit more and just encourage that dialogue about, do you really know, buddy? Do you really know Jesus? Take every opportunity you have to share Jesus with people. It's not preaching them a sermon. Live the gospel more than, you know, in in many ways. Live the gospel. I, I brought this, Marianne. She gave this to me two weeks ago. And this is a card from the Denver Children's Home that Many of you have gone and blessed these kids that are living broken lives. And you touched their lives in a deep way. They, they wrote this card, and it just says, Marianne and friends. It says this in the upper corner, your church is the best. Duh. Just kidding. Um, and it said, Zach Garwood, you got a special prop. Thanks, Zach, for getting the ball. 
right? But it just said Novation Church and, and a thank you. And then there's a whole note in here about how blessed they were and, and all of that. Listen, that's part of living the gospel. Part, you proclaim it and you live it. Be a good neighbor to people. Care for people. Take the time. Be generous with your stuff. Store up treasures in heaven, Jesus said. You know, all your stuff, all your money, it's, none of it's going with you when you die. Not one of it is going with you. But what you do with your stuff, your time, your talent, and your treasure here on earth, God says he's going to reward us when we get to heaven. He'll reward us for all eternity for that. Here's my question. Are you prepared? I don't want anyone to leave this room today that doesn't know for sure if today was the day that you meet your maker, are you ready? Do you know for sure what's going to happen to you when you die? Jesus says when you put your hope in him and you believe that he is the resurrection and the life, that he died on a cross for your sins, to take all your guilt, he asks you to just turn away from self and sin and turn to him and begin to follow him and be his disciple. You enter into eternal life now and you walk this life with him and everyone in here can have that assurance and not wonder, am I going to be eternally separated? You can know today that you're going to have eternal celebration and be welcomed into the arms of Jesus the moment that that happens. I have that assurance today. And I don't have that assurance because of my behavior, because I go to church, because I do this or that. Zip to do with that. Because of what he said. Would you bow your heads with me? Don't put off putting your hope in Jesus. I know there's people in this room, and I'm not a manipulator, nor do I want to manipulate anyone into this, but I want to proclaim to you, God loves you. And Jesus died for you. And you can have that brand new life and promise of eternal life if today you would just say, Jesus, I believe you are my savior. I'm putting my hope in you. I want to follow you as Lord. I'm turning away from sin and self and turning to you today by faith. You pray that to him and believe in your heart. God says that he'll come and fill you with his spirit. and You'll be born again and made new. Today with, with, with I don't do this very often, but I feel a sense to do that. Just today, if you're making that decision, would you just Raise your hand before God so that he sees that hand. You say, I'm publicly declaring today that I want to follow Jesus and I'm going to put my hope and trust in him. God sees you as you raise those hands and say, today's the day that I'm putting my trust solely in you. Maybe some of you want to recommit your life to him and say, you know what? I'm committing, recommitting to you, Lord. I've got off track. I'm living for myself. I want to live for you. I want to live for your purpose. Lord, you see this work, your work in every heart in this room and seal it for Christ's glory.
Amen.